0: Hello and welcome to The Sweetest Little Life. I am so glad you're here. I am your host, Courtney Hansen. With each week, we will have exciting new guests to grow spiritually, develop personally, and learn how to step into our purpose authentically. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 30 minutes of connection with the mind, body, and spirit. Happy Wednesday, goddesses. Today is for the mamas. We are talking with Catherine, who is the founder and CEO of the Mom Complex, where she helps some of the largest companies in the world,
1: Walmart, Johnson & Johnson, Pinterest, Chobani, develop better products and services for mamas. She does workshops. She's also the author of the book, Slay Like a Mother, which I've read and I love. Top 10
0: life-changing self-help books of the year. Today, we are talking about that little emotion, that little voice in your head, self-doubt. The difference between suffering and struggling and how you can overcome it with joy. Stay tuned and let's welcome Catherine.
1: And I'm so excited to have you on The Sweetest Little Life today. How are you doing? I'm very happy. Thank you for having me here. Yes, I'm so excited for today's conversation. And I know a lot of the mamas in the audience are going to walk away just feeling inspired after hearing hearing all about your journey and your story and all the juiciness of today. So I always like to kick off the podcast and just hear your reason why, like what led you to doing the work you're doing today and what is that work?
2: My work is helping women all around the world learn to love themselves and stop hating on themselves. And I came to this work because for 20 years of my life from age 15 to 35, I lived with what I refer to as a dragon of self-doubt, meaning I never felt good enough, thin enough, nice enough, tough enough, mom enough, daughter enough, all the things. And that showed up in my life by, you know, perfectionism, overachievement and really hustling really hard in order to be loved by other people. And, um, I finally rid myself of that affliction after many years of therapy and self-help books and Oprah episodes and red wine. And um, now I'm on a mission to help other women do the same. I love it. So I would love to talk a little bit about your new book. Yay. So tell me a little bit about it. So my book, Slay Like a Mother, is a uh, personal empowerment, self-help book for women and mothers, and it really takes the reader on a journey of um, understanding when and how your dragon of self-doubt was born, when it came to be, um, and then the ways that it is influencing your life, how self-doubt is holding you back, and the crux of the book is Seven Ways You're Feeding Your Dragon of Self-Doubt and How to Stop. And then the end of the book is really about how do we pay it forward and how do we help our own children become dragon slayers and not spend 20 years of their life held captive by, um, by self-doubt. And um, I'm biased, but I think the book is very good. It is
1: fabulous. I've read it. <laughs> I love it. And I love that you call it a dragon slayer because that really is what it is. It's fire breathing. It's all inclusive. It takes you over. And our brains are so powerful that when we get in that self-doubting mindset, it becomes so hard to get out of it and escape. So I would love today, if you're up for it, to really address that self-doubt and that women and mothers and all types of people have this in general, right? We have that. This is, it's so funny that the synchronicities this week, this has been like a common subject, but that inner mean girl, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are some ways that if someone is struggling right now that they can begin
2: to step out of that suffering? Well, the first step to reduce the suffering is admit that you're suffering. (laughs) And I think so many times women and mothers were so busy and we're like running through our checklist and we're, you know, giving all our time away. We're saving none for ourselves. And um, we don't really pause to think, do I like myself? Do I respect myself? Do I love myself? You know, how do I really feel about myself? And so um, an exercise that your listeners can participate in is to think about and actually write down the last terrible thing that you said to yourself. And if you're like most women I work with, regardless of what time you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't have to go back to yesterday to think of a terrible, cruel cutthroat example of um, the mean voice in your head attacking you. And so um, it's important to acknowledge it, but it's important to write it down, put it in your own handwriting. When my um, therapist asked me to do this eight years ago, She gave me that exact exercise. What's the last terrible thing you said to yourself? And I wrote in my journal right when she said it that um, the last thing I had said to myself was, you are a poor excuse for a strong woman. And so we cannot change what we do not acknowledge, you know? And so I think it's the first step is really acknowledging how do you speak to yourself when nobody's listening? Mm. That one's brutal. And how mm. many
1: times a day do we say these brutal things to ourselves? Like really when we're being real about it several times.
2: Oh gosh. Yes. And in the beginning, I mean, this is really a, a practice. It's like, you know, a yoga practice. Like you have to practice this and you have to hear yourself even 50 times a day saying it and then 20 times a day and then 10 times a day, it will reduce over time. It's never going to completely go away. But, um, you know, I was just talking to a mother this morning and, she said the last terrible thing that she said to herself, which is what she says to herself all the time is like, shut up. Nobody wants to hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you think about that, it's like roots of a tree, you know, and if the nutrients that are going into the roots of your body, meaning how you feel about yourself, how you speak to yourself, are that ugly and that condescending, like, of course, it's going to leave you weak And hollow versus if you can learn to speak to yourself in a way that says, I'm trying the best I can. I'm not perfect. I'm okay with being flawed. I still love myself like that helps you become more whole and, and stronger even for the people around you. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit because you touched on the struggling and admitting that. And I know that, you know, it's it's so much easier said than done because it's so easy to say like, yeah, I'm going to admit I'm struggling. But inside, we live in this society that becoming superwoman or becoming supermom is mm. such this like cape of honor and people tell you and say so we're just supposed to like – work full time, mom full time, um, you know, do all the things, run the errands, and then still have time to come home with a smile and cook dinner. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's not realistic for anyone. And so can we really go into um, depth about the difference between struggling and suffering?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole chapter in my book, Say Like a Mother. And so it's important for everybody to know that um, struggling is real. Um, You will always struggle. Um, And struggles are brought on by the external circumstances in your life. So figuring out what to feed your family for dinner, going through a breast cancer diagnosis, caring for aging parents, having a child that's getting married, divorced, baby, etc. Those are struggles. And um and they're natural, like you're 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 gonna be 85 and you're still gonna be struggling, like you can't grow your way out of them, buy your way out of them, move your way out of them, like you're stuck with struggles. But the difference is we suffer um at our own hand, and suffering is brought on by the internal circumstances in our life, meaning when we yell at ourselves for having these struggles in the first place or for beating ourselves up for not handling them better so let's take dinner time it's the number one pain point of mothers in America So dinner, (laughs) preach Um, but yet to your point there aren't these these narratives like oh the family that eats together stays together moms should love nothing more than cooking and you know making dinner and wearing their apron so like there's these narratives in our society that says we should feel a certain way about dinner yet it's the number one pain point so dinner time is a struggle and unfortunately someone in your household has to figure it out you know seven days a week three times a day for the most part it's never ending is my point that's a struggle but you can dip down into suffering really fast when you say gosh Catherine you suck because your children the only green thing they eat is Jolly Ranchers and all your other friends kids eat broccoli and sushi and you know have these refined palates and you're a terrible poor excuse for a mother. Um, And so what we have to do is just embrace the struggle and we have to admit that dinner time is a struggle. So the, the fastest way to dip into suffering is to not admit that you're struggling. So if you say, oh, well, dinner time should be easy, It should be easy for everybody. That's in a sense telling yourself that you suck because you should be handling it better. But if we can say, of course, dinner time is hard. Of course, raising teenagers is hard. Of course, caring for aging parents is difficult. And the fact that we expect it to be easy is what causes us to suffer. So one of the things that I do is I have a post-it note I keep on my computer and I just say, and it says, I expect this to be hard. And I'm just talking about life. Like I expect this to be hard so that when it is hard, when I struggle, I look at that post it note and I go, Oh, yeah, I expected this to be hard. Instead of what we normally do, is this is hard, therefore I suck. Yeah. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh, if that's not the truth, we call it the witching hour in my house because it's like from five o'clock to eight o'clock. It's oh my Lord, mm. have mercy. It's intense.
2: Yeah. And that's like that juxtaposition of like that intensity, that pain that stress, it happens every single night, but yet what is portrayed in commercials and TVs and movies is this happy family, like romantic time, you know, all sitting around. But, you know, I have two teenagers and they are spent by seven o'clock. I mean, Mm -hmm. they are in a foul mood. I'm in a foul mood. Like it's not the time for family bonding (laughs) (laughs) in our house.
1: (laughs) I love that so I came from a house of a lot of trauma split up parents it was not conventional by any way shape or form so I would watch these movies when I was younger right and I'd be like that's that's the kind of mom I'm going to be I'm going to be this mom well what happened was when I had children I went completely the opposite end of the spectrum um And I was like, my whole life is going to be my children. I lost myself. Courtney was no more. I stopped Mm. working. I stayed home. And my whole life revolved around my children. Well, fast forward, my life crumbled after my third. I got postpartum. I started uh, self-medicating with wine, tried to kill myself. It was horrible. Mm. And to come out of that, I had to reinvent myself. I was on the search to find myself and realize, like, I didn't want to be her anymore, but I had this beautiful opportunity now to really get to know myself and create the woman that I wanted to be as a mother, but also as myself, as a career woman, as doing the things that I wanted to do still for my dreams by still being a good mom. But in my mind from watching all these Hallmark movies when I was younger, Mm. that was never an option. That was never there. It was that, you know, you come home and you bake on the weekends and you do crafts. (laughs) And I was like literally the Pinterest mom that everyone pukes at, right? Like I was that girl. And, but inside yeah. I was miserable. I was, I would, was, was, I would cry every night because I'm like, I would always feel like I was missing something. And the problem was that I was missing myself.
2: Yes. So what was the spark for you that went I mean, to be at that low of a point in your life? Um, uh, my, so my youngest was, um, he was born at
1: 32 weeks And I, he was in the NICU and keep in mind, I had, I didn't talk to my parents. I had a huge mother wound and my Mm -hmm. children, I was very codependent on, like they were my everything. I wouldn't leave their side. I was that like helicopter parent. And so when they, when my son was born uh, one, it was the first time I was away from my son and daughter. And two, he was taken to the NICU, which let's talk about like heart wrenching. Mm -hmm. And so my codependency, everything came out. I couldn't breastfeed him because he wouldn't, he just wasn't doing it and he needed more. Um, Mm -hmm. So my milk dried up and I was like, I was the mom that breastfed till two. And that was my thing. And I didn't get that experience with him. So I didn't get the bonding. Well, not from having a C-section, from having a premature. And then from having postpartum, I had these three major hormone drops and my body just couldn't handle it. Well, my husband had ended up leaving and going to an academy. He's a firefighter and he had a promotion and left for six weeks. And so I'm by myself with three kids trying to navigate it Mm -hmm. all. I ended up having an affair, drinking to kind of coax my way through life and became a major alcoholic. And it was so unhealthy and that catalyst for me was really realizing how how grateful I was for my life and how great I had it. But I was so lost. And so, you know, I used to think that postpartum depression was just such a cop out until I experienced it myself. And
2: like, you are mentally not okay. Right. Right. Well, I love that you are talking about this because I think it's what women, women really need to hear. And this really is... The existence for so many women and so many mothers and so it's like it's up to those people that have gone through tough times myself included you know to talk about them so that it can normalize it so that we don't look at the hallmark videos or movies you know and think that we're losers and that we're terrible because we're not perfect in living up to this and so you know, people often ask me, like, how do I start my own journey? I'm like, you got to start saying this shit out loud. Like start saying what you're saying. I was an alcoholic. I tried to kill myself. I didn't want to be alive. You know, I um, was dependent upon my children. Like those are like, haven't you found that it's so empowering to own it and say it and that it controls you less when you can do that? Absolutely. And for a long time, I feel that
1: fear ran my life because when I did have, I, I mean, I choose to love my own family from afar now, but when I did have a relationship with them, it was the, I'm going to expose your secrets and I'm going to, cause I was an influencer at the time. I was a fashion influencer and how, oh, how times have changed, but that <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I was terrified of being judged and I cared so much what other people thought of me. And I think Mm. that was my pivotal turning point is when I was able to step into not caring what people thought so much, but able to be confident in who I was and my story and knowing that we all have a story and now being a therapist and speaking to thousands of women, I know that everyone has a story. (laughs) And it's amazing to me because like, you know, we're, we're so scared of being judged. And even when I share my story now with someone, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, it's such a taboo topic. It's like, mm. uh, no, there, there's alcohol. We're, well, there's a lot of alcoholics. There's a lot of moms mm-hmm. that struggle. It doesn't make you a bad mom. It makes you have no. stuff. It makes it messy. And,
2: yeah. Um,
1: but it's interesting, the response, when I when I'm in a group or doing a retreat or something and talking to people, everyone's face kind of drops and it's like, Oh, my goodness. We have
2: been taught to not be honest or not yes. be allowed to, to be hide. honest about our journey. Yes. We hide so much. And, I, you know, I was raised in a household where we didn't talk about anything bad. I mean, it was not allowed. It was yeah. we talked about the happy times, the good times. And if me or my brother brought up anything painful, negative, you know, it was, the subject was changed immediately. And I love my parents like dearly. Um, they just didn't have the ability to deal with difficult emotions. They didn't know mm-hmm. how. They gave me everything they could. They just were not equipped to do that. And, um, but it's it's painful when, when we are taught and we are trained in the media and in our own homes that we can't talk about the bad stuff and i think that's so important for mothers it's like you need to own your struggles your suffering and you need to talk about it even in your own home because think of the role model that you are for your children to be able to say the painful things out loud so they don't own you anymore Versus I heard a woman the other day she said we are as sick as our secrets Ooh, and I was like it damn like that is the truth yes and if we have no secrets how beautiful is that what a, that's a goal
1: it, it, it is a goal <laughs> that is the goal
2: <laughs> yeah and I think that's
1: you know when I think of like how many, when I talk to people and I ask them like, what is your ultimate goal to feel free, to feel peace, to feel happy? You know, it's, it always comes down to like those three emotions. Like it's something that you want to feel right. It always comes down to an emotion. Like I don't feel comfortable in my body. Um, I have anxiety, I have depression. Well, it comes down to all feelings. And so when we're able to strip that away and pull it into the vulnerability, it really comes down to wanting to feel loved and accepted.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And be seen for who we really are. I mean, so much of my life was hiding behind a mask. And so even when people loved me, or they celebrated me, or they were proud of me, it wasn't the real me. It was a facade. It was like the fake Catherine. It was like the puppet on the stage, Catherine, you know, and so I couldn't even really receive other people's love, because I didn't think that they were loving the real me, because I never showed them the real me. And I hid behind you know, this mask. And what I often talk about is that, you know, if you're wearing a mask, other people might not know that you're wearing a mask and lying and saying everything's fine when it's not fine. That's the point of the mask, right? You're deceiving people. But you know you're wearing the mask. Mm. And every time you lie and say you're fine, when you're not fine, what you're telling your soul is that what someone else thinks of you is more important than the truth. It's more important than your truth. And your soul hears it and feels it when you wear a mask and when you lie. And it adds up. And I'm sure it did for you. It did for me. And it's like, at some point, you just can't keep it up anymore. It's not sustainable to lie that much. No at all. And eventually it all comes out
1: and comes crumbling or you end up like me and just turn into a total train wreck. I mean, one of the two, you crash (laughs) the burner, you figure it out.
2: Yeah. And you learn and you grow. I mean, I believe Mm -hmm. that we are put on this planet for one reason and it is to learn and grow. And if the goal is growth, then like God bless all of us that have been at the bottom because I have grown so much more through my darkest moments than I ever did from the picture perfect moments. You know, there's no growth in. No, not at all. And you know I think it's beautiful too,
1: because when we look back and I'm sure you, you resonate with this, but when you look back at your life, all those really messy bottom moments, if you will, I feel like those are the pivotal moments where I'm looking back and I'm like, that's how I got into my purpose. That's how I figured out who, you know, where, what I was supposed to do. That's how I got to the point of being able to serve.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think even the tough times teach us that, that we don't want to repeat those tough times. So like, even though I couldn't talk about negative things in my household or difficult, you know, feelings or emotions that taught me something that taught me that that's not how I want to be. And I have to find an outlet for this, you know, in therapy through other friends, acquaintances. Um, and I try hard to not do it with my children. So we even learn and grow from the tough circumstances in our life. Yes. And I, I, you know, children,
1: my gosh, what big lesson teachers there in general. and <laughs> I feel they pull out the biggest triggers in ourselves that we are like, Ooh, okay. Need to work on that
2: one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, but back to the, you know, talking about our pain and, you know, challenges. One of the things I talk about in, um, say like a mother is raising dragon slayers and how we can teach our children to be dragon slayers. And one of the things, Um, that I recommend for mothers is to, you know, at the end of the day, whether your kids are six or, you know, 16 is um, discuss your peak and your pit from the day on both sides. You know, um, what was the best part of your day and what was the worst part of their day? And um, it's really fascinating to think about for to teach your children that every day is going to have a part of it that sucks every day. And that their mother's not perfect, that she has a crappy part of her day. And, um, and it, again, it gives them the language and the tools and the dialogue that they need to be able to voice the tough things in their life without repercussion yeah. and be able to say, I got picked on at school today, or I got a bad grade and I felt dumb or like whatever it is. And, Definitely as your kids get older, they're not gonna reveal that information willingly. So the peak in the pit is kind of a sneaky way to learn more about them and you at the same time. I love that.
1: That's clever. Um, I have a preteen right now and I'm just realizing that transition of going from I'm their everything and Mm. they're they tell me everything that I wanna know and I don't wanna know, like all the things, right? To now being like, how was your day? Me, it was fine. I'm like, okay, no more open ended questions. Gotta be more specific. And so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really been this challenge to figure out, you know, like, okay, so what's going on in your life at school? Because you know, they don't give it up willingly. And it's really interesting to see that transition because it happens so gradually that before you know it, you blink and you're like, oh, okay, we're not communicating.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what's fascinating is, so my kids are 12 and 14. And, um, and so what's interesting, like what you're saying is that we enter these new phases of motherhood, like preteens or teens, and they're new to us. But then we yell at ourselves and beat ourselves up for not being better at them when we've never done it before. So let's say you have a 12 year old, you could find yourself yelling at yourself and saying, Come on, Courtney, like you've been a mother for 12 years, get your shit together. You know, why don't you have this figured out? But you have to give yourself grace and you have to say that, yes, I've been a mother for 12 years, but I've only been a mother to a 12-year-old for a matter of days, Mm. days. And so why would you be good at it? Why would you be good at being a mother of a preteen when you've never done it before? And that just goes back to these ridiculous expectations that we have that, you know, being a mother to a two-year-old and a 12-year-old has nothing in common. absolutely not (laughs) but yet we just think oh I've been a mother for x number of years I should be better at this but every stage of motherhood is going to be so fundamentally different and when you become an empty nester very different and you've never done it before and so we just have to it goes back to the struggles like being a parent to a preteen is a struggle but you don't have to suffer and yell at yourself and tell yourself that you suck absolutely so I love to
1: wrap things up with giving the audience three things that they can walk away with and really start implementing. What are the three most common issues, if you will, um, that you see come up with your clients?
2: Yeah, I would say one is you have to make time for yourself and, um, you can do that by putting yourself on your calendar. Um, and I do that in reoccurring meetings. So let's say, I every Tuesday morning you're going to take a walk in your neighborhood from eight to nine. And every Thursday night, you are going to make time to, you know, read your magazine or book by yourself. But the the point is reoccurring meetings because then you only have to get the courage up one time (laughs) to say every Tuesday morning, this is important to me. And then you're just built into your calendar. So that's one thing. Um, two, I would say, you know, asking for help is so critical and we're pretty terrible at it, but, um, similar to the, the calendar structure is how can you, um, ask for help in bulk, meaning don't ask for help just one time, you know, go to your partner, go to your child, go to your friend and say, Hey, every Tuesday night, could you pick the kids up or a babysitter, you know, or every Thursday morning, could you help get the kids ready for school? Whatever it is, but it's like, it's ongoing commitment for help as opposed to like, Hey, I'm struggling. Can you help me out? One time, and it goes back to you know having the courage to um, ask for help is hard, but ask for it in bulk, and it becomes you know a lot easier. Habit, yeah, and um, and then you get it ongoing and not just as a one off. Um, and then you know, the third thing is just something we talked about earlier is I would start to write down the negative thoughts that you say to yourself and I would put them in your own handwriting because once you kind of extract that thought out of just stewing around in your mind and you begin to see it in your own handwriting, then you will know that it's a problem. You will believe that it's a problem and it will be very motivating to help you, you know, solve the problem.
1: Absolutely. And it's just taking the power out of it. Yep. I, I, Oh, gosh, those are so good. I really like the making a calendar date with yourself um, because we forget to do that often or we're like, oh, I'll just squeeze it in in between clients. And, well, that
2: never happens. So No, and the other stuff will still fit. Like you'll put yourself on your calendar every Tuesday morning, maybe every Thursday lunchtime, whatever it is. And then people don't care about you as much as you think they care about you. And so you'll be built into your calendar and somebody will say, hey, Courtney, can you meet at you know, 8.30 on Tuesday, and you go, no, but I can meet at 9.30, and what do they say? Okay, great, like, sounds fine. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's not as much labor to, t- you're right, you're not- to squeeze yourself in requires a lot of effort, and it's, it's not really going to happen, because your calendar's already full, but, um, getting yourself on there I even color code these quote-unquote meetings in dark purple I call it my mojo color oh my gosh I love um, it (laughs) I'm just such a visual person that if I go if I go to like next week and I look at my calendar if there's not enough dark purple there's something wrong and I'm not prioritizing myself so it's like a visual cue of you know self-care that is built into my calendar and it's a red flag for me if it's not there I love that So, you do private coaching with women, yes? Um, I do not. I do um, workshops and like seminars, um, mostly for companies who employ working mothers. So, I do it for like Coca Cola and Hallmark and um, companies, but um, I don't do it one on one, but more like in workshop format. Amazing.
1: I know you work with a bunch of big companies. Um, We didn't even get a chance to touch on that. (laughs) So many layers. Um, I, well, I was just asking, cause if the audience feels like they have questions or want to connect with you, are you open to them reaching out to you directly?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I invite Amazing. anybody to go to slay There's some great video content there. You can sign up for, um, our newsletter that we send out every two weeks with like ways every two weeks for, um, ways to slay. And, um, yeah, I'm always love talking about this stuff.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your wisdom. And I know a lot of mamas are going to walk away just feeling inspired and not alone. So thank you very much for that.
2: Well, thank you for having me and thank you for your vulnerability and honesty. I know it's helping a lot of people to hear your story.
1: Absolutely. And your book is amazing. I've I've read it. It's in my studio for everyone else to read.
2: I love it. it. Yay. All right.
1: Have a wonderful day.
2: Okay. Thanks, Courtney.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have a takeaway or something from the conversation that really just resonated within your heart center, I would love to hear about it. Please leave it in the comment section so we can give you more of this content. As always, please subscribe, save, and sharing is caring. We love you to pieces. Have a beautiful and blessed day.